the incomparable. Number 301, May 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. This is uh, that episode that I enjoy every year where I get to read a lot of books that are on a list of awards. It's the Nebula Awards. Uh, there were seven <laughs> nominees for Best Novel. Uh, and, and unlike last year where we recorded just before the award was handed out, we're actually recording after the award ha- was handed out. So we will uh, talk about the novels in turn. Uh, chosen randomly in an order that leads to the winner randomly which is kind of funny uh joining me to talk about these seven books that uh, somebody thought were worth putting on a list of uh of award nominees are members of my book club scott mcnulty hello i was going to predict the winner but now you've ruined uh my prediction <laughs> Yes, that's the problem about not not having this be last. See, last year when we did this, I just read all the names as if they were the winner and then edited out all the losers. So it seemed <laughs> as if I knew what I was talking about. But this year we already know the winner. So uh, but anyway, it's good to have you here, Scott. Uh, it's a pleasure. Erica Ensign is here. Hello. I, I am here. I, I did my homework very early this time and now have forgotten a lot. So it's right. a good thing I took some notes. How many of them did you read? Uh, I, I started all of them. You attempted all seven. That's good. Good enough. Good, <laughs> yes, good answer. Yes, and I finished six. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Aline Ooh. Sims is here. Hi, Aline. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Uh, I, I'm, I'm good. I read, I read seven books. How many books did you read? I read five. I attempted six, but I could not get through one of them. And then, uh, one of them was, well, two of them were third in a series and I hadn't read the beginning of the series. So I didn't. Interesting. Didn't, didn't do it. Fair enough. That's, that's completely fair. And, uh, joining us again, as he has actually the last couple of years from the Skiffy and Fanty podcast, it is Sean Duke. Sean, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I will be your resident curmudgeon this episode, so expect joy. <laughs> you might have to fight, uh, certainly Scott for it, uh, but we'll see <laughs> that how... That is usually my post. We'll see how, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's good. Curmudgeon, curmudgeonly is fine. There's nothing wrong with curmudgeonly. Um, all right, so seven novels. I, I literally did go to, uh, uh, Scott might approve, to random.org. <laughs> Oh, the best place on the internet to find a random number. Hey, where atmospheric aberrations lead to random numbers, random.org. Uh, and so I uh, I randomly selected the order in which we would talk about these seven novels. So the Nebula Awards, Science Fiction Writers of America, right? Science Fiction Writers Association. It's not just America. I don't know. They're science fiction it's writers. They, they have a they have a a system that is not just a, it's not a fan vote like the Hugo Awards. So it's a little bit different list, and uh, and they chose these seven as the the ones to go to the final voting to choose a winner. Um, so first up is the fifth season by N. K. Jemison. Now you may remember her. Uh, she wrote uh, the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, which was a Hugo nominee. A few years back that I actually really loved. And uh, in in the fifth season, this is a this is a, a story told in three different time frames. I, the question is how how spoilery we should probably try to keep it light on spoilers because most people are not yeah. going to uh, mm. not, not not going to read uh, all seven books. But I will say it's it's told That's... in three different time frames with with a bunch of characters. And you begin to wonder as you read it, perhaps these time frames are connected. Uh, because why would you tell completely disconnected stories? Um, <laughs> and it's about a, a world that is apparently coming to an end. There are uh, there's a race of of people that are that are they're kind of like mutants who have the ability to control like the earth and rocks and lava and stuff like that. But they're and they have like a training academy. But they're also kind of 
they're, they're the subject of racism, and the training academy may be a little more sinister than it might sound from a simple description about it. And there's in one of the, the time frames, there's a cataclysm that is causing uh, a, a city to be destroyed and questioning the future of the entire planet. And along the way, we meet these characters who are uh, connected to the special people who can control uh, the rocks and the earth and feel the vibrations of the earth and stop earthquakes from happening and things like that. So it's it's definitely a uh, kind of magical uh, world in, the, in that sense. I would, say, I would say this is definitely a fantasy novel, only because mm. there doesn't seem to be any even remote scientific basis for this. These are people with special powers, special earthquake powers, basically. So that's the fifth season. Uh, anybody have, have uh, want to jump out and remember what the fifth season was? And want to <laughs> talk about it a little this bit? This is one I, I remember because it was actually the, I think the second to the last one that I fully read. And it gave me nightmares. So I had to read it really fast because I was really enjoying it, but I wasn't enjoying the nightmares. So I was like, if I just get through it really fast, I won't have to worry about it anymore. I, uh, apocalyptic dreams are not uncommon for me, but not many nights in a row. So uh, because I, as, as you may know, if you listen to The Incomparable a lot, I am a sucker for a good apocalypse story. And for my money, this was a good apocalypse story. I, I always tend to measure them against the first half of the stand. And I thought mm. this really measured up as far as the the way that this, you know, world ending thing w- was dealt with by the people in this world. The prologue says, you know, there are a lot of end of the worlds and people come mm-hmm. back from them. This mm-hmm. isn't one of them. This is the end <laughs> of the world. That's how it starts, basically. Yes. And I love the idea that that that, that that's a thing, that uh, that this sort of end of the world type thing is something that happens over and over again throughout the history of this world we're reading about, um, which may or may not be our world in the far, far future. I kind of like I, I wasn't sure about that. So maybe it is kind of science fiction-y. I, I kind of like books that tease you with that. In that way, yeah. Well, so one of the things that's really notable, I think, while reading this book is that it's got this idea of dead civs, right? So it's the dead civilizations. This is a this is a world with a civilization that is being built on the 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 remains of many uh, fairly advanced civilizations that have come before it. And the measure, um, and this is a, a planet that is sort of shattered. It's got horrible um, tectonic issues. There are tidal waves and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. And mm-hmm. so everybody, every town has, what, 10 years of of storage of like food supplies and things. Everybody's storing up for the next cataclysm to survive it. And the, the culture that they're a part of is really awesome because it survived like four of them or something without yeah. dying out. Yeah. But so everything is, is tenuous. Like all civilization is tenuous and there are remnants of high tech uh, stuff that they don't even understand what they are. They're strange little jewel things that float in the sky there are little like uh spinning like almost like windmilly kind of things that they don't nobody knows what they're for so there's this history of like the world that used to understand this stuff and that world is gone but people are still kind of making their way yeah and i think you you mentioned a little bit about you know 10 years of of, of storage and stuff because they're used to the world sort of ending a lot of times i thought that the structures that the society has in place for dealing with those ends was a really fascinating touch and and then the fact that the book is all sort of wrapped up and it's it's got a very specific 
system of magic that's tied to to people and the earth and mm-hmm. and you're d- kind of discovering how it works throughout the book and through the lens of a, of a few characters that we see at sort of interesting points in their lives made it made it a really fascinating read and uh it it ended leaving me really wanting the next book there wasn't uh it wasn't as big of a conclusion as i was kind of hoping for but that's all right i just pre-ordered the next book immediately it doesn't have an ending. I would say that's one of the weaknesses of the book is that it kind of uh, you get to the end and, and you realize that it's like kicking into the next act, the next chapter in this story at the end. Yeah, this was definitely my favorite book of all of the ones we read. Um, huh. Yeah, I like I liked it most. I think mine, too. Yeah, I think that that she did a really, really good job of weaving these different stories um, in in a really satisfying way i guess and kind of the threads that connect them all um because they are connected i will spoil that but i won't tell you how and i i just felt like it was really really artfully done i thought the um the imagery her 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 command of language was really beautiful oh, yeah. Some of the the ways that things that she described and the way she wrote things i really really enjoyed um I, I wanted more. Like I finished reading it and I was like, oh, this is really disappointing <laughs> that I don't have any more of this to read. Um, and it did feel like a first story in a series and a couple are first stories in series and they felt like that definitely. Um, so I do feel kind of like I'm, I'm hanging a little bit, but mm-hmm. I just thought that it was really, really artful and beautiful. Um, and I'm wondering if the next book might be might tie in more of the science fiction elements because of the way they left this one. It's possible. Scott, what did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite of the uh, seven books. It wasn't my least favorite either. So that's good, I guess, um, for people keeping track of my favorite and least favorite books. <laughs> I'll mark it down on my spreadsheet. At, at the end, I'll ask everybody <laughs> to rank them. So be, be prepared for that. If you, if oh, as right. we go, oh, make okay. a list of them. We'll, we'll, I'll ask you to rank them oh, at the end. I'll check it twice. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I struggled with this only because you know you said it's a fantasy book, but I don't know if I consider it a fantasy book or a science fiction book, uh, and I don't think that's a problem really. Um, because I enjoyed it and I thought I mean, she's a talented writer it's beautifully written as already has been said but and I think it's interesting that she melds all of the facets that are in here that make me wonder like make it difficult for me to categorize it as either purely science fiction or purely fantasy uh, because of course you know you've got the magic or seemingly magic I don't know if it's magic or not uh, she doesn't really explain it I mean uh Earth magic. The, the I'm not earth quite sure magic. how that science fiction that there's earth magic unless well, uh, it could be, you know, the, they're, so they've been know genetically when. engineered to have psychic. I st- yeah. OK. I, I'm not sure I how there's any technology that leads to people being born who can control earthquakes. But but uh, it doesn't feel like oh, I mean, a little no, faith. Jason. All right. OK. <laughs> Fair enough. There's no there's no like dra- dragons or magic spells. It's not that kind of fantasy, but it also doesn't seem to be like they're trying to say, oh, well, there's a technological explanation for how these people are doing the, doing this. Well, but there is technology. She leaves, it, she leaves it up to the reader wow. to, to into it one way or the other, which is clever, right? Because so if you are leaning more towards the fantasy, you just think it's a fantasy. And if you think it's more science fiction-y, you just think it's science fiction which is great like the whole yeah. fact that uh they look into the sky and something's missing and you're like oh ah, yes oh yes <laughs> what could that mean uh 
uh, spoiler, the moon is missing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, Which led me to believe it was Earth. And so this led me also to believe that it was far in the future. Right. Uh, and so these and the, the hovering crystals that do things and, you know, uh, and are introduced the... kind of nonchalantly like, oh, and there was a crystal in the air. And I'm like, what a weird <laughs> bit of imagery there. And it's like, yeah. no, actually, that matters. That's going to be important. But you don't like know that. for a while. I like that, too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They're yeah. just kind of hovering there doing whatever it is they do slowly <laughs> following people yeah uh, or not uh, uh so i mean i really liked it and um yeah i i think i if i had to categorize it which i don't but uh, don't. i'm gonna force myself to okay. i would <laughs> categorize it now uh, scott i'm making it. Uh, yeah i think I, I i would still i'd call it science fiction okay interesting there, i said okay. it all right you're wrong but that's fine sean <laughs> what do you, what did you think of the fifth season uh so this is going to be a thing you're going to hear Many times tonight, so All right. I'm sorry for that. But, get ready, uh, The way I think of it is there's this great scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where Kira Knightley is about to get thrown into the water off the plank. And there's the one guy who basically gets one line in the movie, and all he does is he screams, too long, and then he bangs the plank in it, and she falls in. <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt about many of the books that I, I read for hmm. this. Uh, fifth, fifth season, little less than certain other books we will come to later. Uh, for reasons that were a little different. But I, I think part of that is that for fifth season, I l- listened to it as an audiobook, which I, I maybe is not a good idea hmm. because of, of some of the, the switches in narration don't quite work, I think, in the way that it maybe worked for all of you. Um, I will say, though, that despite that, I did enjoy most of this book. And there, there's one scene that actually sticks out to me that I can't seem to get out of my head because I found it really tragic. Is there's that scene with, I believe it's with Kamaya and her guardian, where he just flat out tells a child, like, you think you matter? And he asked her this question, and it, I don't know, that that moment really sort of stuck out. I had to actually rewind the audio tape and listen to it again to make sure I had heard it, because it was really kind of brutal. And, it's, of course, the world they're living in is pretty screwed up uh, and pretty bigoted and terrible. Uh, but, yeah, that scene I liked, I really liked, and, there, and I love some of the world-building elements. I mean, some of the things we've already mentioned, I love when they start talking about the the weird technology that's a holdover and they don't have any idea how it works they just know that it does and it does all these weird things um so i like a lot of aspects of it but it is one of those things where like i think i'm getting to this this point in my phd where like if a book is over 250 pages (laughs) i start to want to cut them out Hmm. and maybe reduce the book down (laughs) a little bit Uh, i start finding things where i'm like did we really need that scene uh, and that's going to come up. I'm sure Scott and I will have much to say on that front for a later book that I suspect both yeah. me and I both had issues with. Uh, hmm. So I don't know which we, book you could be referring. Yeah, which book? Uh, it's clearly, it's clearly uh, the shortest book on the list, right? Yeah. Yes. So um, I think it's interesting that the. the um, the fact that this is told in three time sequences on one level, I felt like it made it move because you had that moment. You want to get back to what you just finished a chapter of mm-hmm. and you know, you've got to go through two others to get there. And it sort of gives you this impetus to drive forward. At the same time, I would say, yes, there are moments where I think this chapter probably doesn't need to be here, except we need to have every, every three, you know, chapters be one from each time frame. And I did feel yeah. those moments, but you know, for me, I didn't feel like it was too long so much as I felt like, like I said, it gets to the end. And although it kind of wraps up these three stories in, in the fact that it brings them all together and you see the bigger picture at the end, uh, still, it doesn't really 
there there's so much more story to tell and i was a little disappointed that it it was you know again i'm i i bought a book and what i got was a, an installment of a series and and that that lets me down a little bit too i wanted to mention one thing that i, I really liked from this book was and it's just another little thing that i thought was cool um is that one of the characters is named alabaster and he's yeah. described as being a, a man with the darkest skin yeah. you could ever possibly see <laughs> and that he was named ironically by whoever gave him his name and you find out that everybody gets these names at this place when they're the earth you know earth wizards basically or sorry scott <laughs> earth science people um and uh, and and uh, i like that and also i like the inversion of the whole hero's journey thing where it's like a young a child finds out that she's special um and in this case, it's she finds out that she's special in being uh, treated uh, by people uh, horribly because they're racist against these types of people and sent yeah. to a special school. It's like Harry Potter, except no, they beat her and <laughs> they're terrible people. And right. then they, they I mean, uh, it's such a great inversion of that story. Like she is special and she is important, but she's treated so horribly. It's, a, it's not a good culture. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. And it reminds me of that scene where she, you know, she meets her guardian and you think, oh, he's so nice to her and she's gonna, he's going to protect her because she's he's her guardian. But then you find out that uh, the guardians are protecting everybody else. Yeah. And there's that scene where he like breaks, breaks her, her hand fingers, for no yeah. reason. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's it's very chilling. I think it's just shortly after that where he even says that line, right, whether or not you matter to her, right, this kid. Right. So, it's really I think that was that was the line for me that was like this is a really screwed up world. Yeah. That you could yeah. say that to a kid's face. Do you think you matter? It's a you book that matter. literally starts with the death of a child, right? The first scene in this mm -hmm. in this book after the little prologue, which the prologue is there to make you wonder about everything you're about to see because it you, it doesn't become clear what you're seeing until the very end. But um yeah. But after that, the first thing you, you see is it's a mother who finds the, the dead body of her child, which has been killed by her husband. And the reason the child has been killed is because the child has these earth powers that she also has. And it's it's just horrible. And so for the rest of the book, she's dealing with that. And I and, and you know, that's that's a bold move because that is that is rough. Right. To start with a death, a, a dead child on not the death of, but the finding of a dead already dead child on on the first page of the first chapter of the book. It's pretty pretty rough stuff but it, i but i loved it i mean i really i really enjoyed this book um and i like this world and i i, I enjoyed the idea that they, that there are these people who can quiet the earthquakes i live in california go <laughs> earthquake people we need we need more of we them we need some of those yeah, yeah definitely so um and and kay jameson she she is a beautiful you know her her pro style is beautiful it's just yeah. just yeah. her her words are are are, it was a joy to read the words, I thought. Right. She's got all the best words. All the best words. She's she a really good writer. Only yeah. the finest words are chosen <laughs> by her. This is in my, right. this is, this is, uh, this is in my, uh, my, my top echelon too for, of the oh. seven. Yeah. It's not number one, but it's, uh, one A. One A. <laughs> one A. Oh. You've got a Also tie. known as two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I may have some ties when it comes down to my ranking too. <laughs> you get me, Scott. No, I, I, I listed them all. And I, even though I, I, I went back and forth, I did end up putting it second, but let's take a break so I can tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you by Harry's providing comfortable shaves and excellent shaving related products to you over the internet at a very fair price. Now I've been shaving with Harry's stuff for more than a year now. And, uh, you know, I don't shave every day. 
because I now work at home and don't have to face people um, in a business context every day. So sometimes I, I go, I skip a day, but that's all because my beard grows fast enough that after that I become a caveman and I need to shave. And I, in fact, earlier today shaved with Harry's, put on a new blade this morning, actually, and uh, super smooth. The the Harry's blade is uh, is so great. It is uh, it has given me this nice close shave. I use the ha- the Harry's uh, uh, shaving lotion, which I also loved. Uh, it's a really it's a great product, and I um, they they can't pay me to say that part. I can only say that to you because it's the truth that I do use their stuff, and I buy it myself, and I really like it. So the Harry's razor. Uh, it's one razor with everything you need. It's got a, a nice little uh, lubricating strip on it. It's got five blades crafted in Harry's German factory a flex hinge. Uh, it, quality is guaranteed. You'll get a full refund if you're not happy with it. Super high quality razor. And then there's the price part of it. Factory direct prices. They cut out the middleman and sell directly to you. You don't have to go to the drugstore. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can click a couple of uh, things on the internet and the, the razors and the uh, shaving cream or lotion will come to your house. And it's about half the price of the leading brand. How much of a deal is this? There's a starter kit that's available for just $15, including a razor, three blades, and your choice of the very nice Harry's Shave Cream or the fantastic foaming shave gel. I love that shave cream. Uh, it doesn't get all puffy like uh, like a shave gel does, but it uh, it does the job and it has this faint little mint smell. I like it a lot. And uh, $15 seems like a great deal for the starter kit, but guess what? You have $5 off your first purchase by using the code SNELL, S-N-E-L-L, my last name. After using my code, you will get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10. Harry's was started by a couple of guys who are passionate about making a better shaving experience for everyone, everyone, and this is what they've come up with. Great razors, easy to order, they come right to your door, and for a great price. So Harry's, give them a try. Use code SNELL for $5 off. Go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Code Snell at checkout, S-N-E-L-L, and help support The Incomparable. Thank you to Harry's for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, next is Updraft by Fran Fran Wild. Um, I should say Updraft won uh, an award from SFWA. It won the Andre Norton Award, which is for uh, YA, science fiction, and fantasy. So it did win an award. It was nominated for the the main novel prize, and it did not win that one. Um, Updraft is a... um, it's a it's a story about uh, people who live in towers made of bone that are constantly growing. They're kind of above the cloud tops. There are a whole, whole bunch of people who get around in this uh, in this city by flying around on like wing in wing suits. They've got big wing gadget hang glidery wingy things that they strap onto their backs and they fly around in the updrafts and the thermals and they move from place to place. Uh, they're watched over by a bunch of basically like police in the se- in, in this tower that guards the uh, that guards the city supposedly and uh, protects it from monsters such as the sky mouths who are these invisible creatures that uh, their skin is invisible but then they open their mouths and you see their mouths and then they basically they eat you and you die um, and uh, so it's a it's a it's a I'm gonna say fantasy Scott can tell me all the science of the wingsuits <laughs> later uh, novel about Singing to the about towers. Uh, and our main character is Kirit who is a uh, who is a young girl who is about to pass her wingsuit test and wants to become a trader a trader like her mother and go from tower to tower trading items because most people sort of live in the tower that they live in for their lives or if they're lucky enough it's connected by a bridge to another tower but they're all kind of isolated unless you can fly in one of these wingsuits. 
Kits. And of course, then uh, Kirit, uh, as she's learning uh, things about her world and about the people in the tower who are supposed to be watching over them, she unravels a whole lot of intrigue and conspiracy about what how things used to be and how things uh, are now and she's uh she's uh she's tested repeatedly in in terms of trying to trying to do what's right and uh, also obviously coming of age and learning her who she is and learning yes. confidence and that she's she's literally tested as well <laughs> she is she is literally yeah. tested uh repeatedly uh, yes. at, at flying and other things. It's like getting your driver's license, except you may die if, if you fall. <laughs> uh, so Updraft, what do people think of the wingsuits and uh, and such for Updraft? And bones. And bones, growing bone towers. I really, really, really liked Fran Wilde's book. I knew about this book mostly from having a long conversation with her about the world that she had built before I'd actually seen the books. I don't think it was out at the time. Um and so I've been really fascinated by how she developed this world and made it work before I even knew that there was a story. And then when I got to read the story, I was really excited. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a really exciting book. The world building is amazing. The characters are fascinating. Uh, I, I love reading about the, the, the whole test system they have to go through where they have to fly in formations and they have to follow these specific rules mm-hmm. about flying. It's like a really advanced, crazy driving test. Um, I mean, it is. It's it's a really fascinating novel, and I and I love how it goes into the sort of deep dark secrets of the spire and starts to unravel some of the you know why is this world the way that it is, and maybe we shouldn't be happy about the way that it is. Uh, so I mean, from from start to finish, I just really I really liked it. I was really happy to hear that it had got the uh, was it the Andre Norton correct? Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was really glad because I, I think it's very much a deserving book. I mean, to be fair, I haven't read every other YA fantasy novel out there, but, you know. But this was a good one. This is a really good one, yeah. yeah. The trick that it does that I think is very clever is it's a fantasy setting, right? So it, it tells you about the world through the eyes of the of, of the, the main character, Kirit. And... Um, and so you accept it, right? Because you're a, you're a book reader and you're reading about a world that doesn't really exist. And, and so you accept it. And that actually is delightful then when she d- uncovers the secrets of the city because you're going along with her where you're like, you know, we've, we've accepted the ground rules of this entire world. And then she goes, she, she goes to the spire and, and it turns out, oh, <laughs> Some of those ground rules aren't true after all. They're just they're just lies being told to the people who live in the city. And that was that was really great because you get to experience that moment of disillusionment with her. Like what I thought the rules of the world were this and they're not. Um, I thought that was very, very effective. What did other people think of Updraft? I liked it for a lot of the same reasons that, that Sean said. Although, you know, I, I was wavering between fantasy and science fiction for this because I, I could easily just <gasps> see this playing out on another planet. Because, I mean, again, nobody's mm. nobody's casting spells. I felt like the, the spells were, were more blatant in, in the previous book mm-hmm. than in this one. Uh, it's all pretty much physics. Sure. Um, Sure, bone giant uh, towers, towers made of bone is right. totally well, I mean, yeah. an invisible monsters. Planet, totally there could legit. Be giant creatures yeah. singing to bones. invisible monsters to stop them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. could be okay. But uh, but I think if I had to pick one word to describe this book, it would be delightful. It is <laughs> yeah. just yeah, it, it, and it is. It's the world building that really got to me. It's so unlike anything that I've ever read before. I mean, a land that has no no ground at all. Like there's right. no there's no floor yeah. except for the floor of your apartment. 
that's that's something I'd never even contemplated. So it was fun to just sort of let my brain play in that world and think about the possibilities and the limitations. And then I would, you know, come upon those possibilities and limitations being played out in the book. Uh, she answered all of those questions that I was pretty much asking. And I liked that she didn't spend pages and pages describing all the details that make up the world. Most of them you just discover by a character doing a thing or at the very worst thinking about a thing. So it didn't drag on and on. And I loved the POV character. Um, she just really worked for me. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for young girls. Um, but I also appreciated that the language used to tell the story was sort of very simple, straightforward prose uh, with lots of sort of short sentences. There wasn't a lot of long and entangled poetic flowing descriptions. Mm. And it and that was exactly right for this character. It felt like something that would come from her mind. Um, you know, she's at the center of the narrative and the prose fits with her. And of course, I liked the story as well. I, I too was interested in, in the mystery and enjoyed mm. the unraveling of it. But I felt the one biggest drawback for this is I felt like the end came a little fast and furious. It didn't I didn't quite have enough time to completely understand what was happening and, and wrap my head around it. So um and I mean, it, there's clearly more books coming in this series as well. But I thought the the wrap up here was was uh, was a little tough for me to swallow. Yeah, she said um, I was looking at Goodreads a little while ago, and she said that the next books won't necessarily follow Kirit. They'll be in the same universe. So I don't know if she might have a passing role or if it. I don't know what's going to happen. So I I kind of felt much like I did with the fifth season, like this was a first book and that it was just kind of introducing this universe to us and that this was not the end. And then I read on Goodreads that maybe it kind of is at least for this character. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next books do um, in terms of that. One thing that I really, really loved when I started looking at alternate covers is I think that I don't think that this is a society of white people. And I thought that was really oh, no, it's not. <laughs> nice. You know, like it's, um, but it's, it's very not... clearly described in the book, um, you know, tawny copper, tawny and copper yeah. and dark. Right. And yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, but it, it wasn't like you see in a lot of things where it's, or even in, you know, like the fifth, fifth season where it's like his name is a joke and like, it's very blatant. Okay. Well, he's, he is a man of color. Um, so I, I really appreciate the, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of, a lot of authors are very heavy handed with their, like, these are definitely the, the people of color and they are different and we will describe them in depth. Whereas it was more, it felt more organic, I guess, in here than, um, than some books that I've read. Scott, what did you think? Well, uh, so this book had two strikes against it when I started reading it. Uh -oh. a, it's, a, it's a YA book, and I don't really like YA novels. Uh, and I also thought the uh, world was dumb, uh, which is a problem. <laughs> Uh, but having said both of those things, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was a good story. Uh, not my favorite, clearly. Uh, I still think it's kind of stupid, uh, to live mm. in bones and fly around, but, uh, <laughs> she, uh, she won me over with the story. I like the main character. Uh, I like the, the spire people and the singing and all that stuff. Um, I still don't really understand, uh, and yeah, I suppose you're not supposed to understand why they're living in bones and, uh, how they got to fly around and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fine. It's a fantasy world. 
<laughs> is it or is it a science fiction world? Interesting. No, and, and this is I'm having the same issue with I'm reading uh I decided I'll read the the Locus uh nominated books as well so I'm reading this book uh Karen Memory uh which I think is very well oh, written. Watch yourself right now. I just don't like it. Uh oh my God. which is a problem. Oh. Uh, so, because I have no interest in steampunk, I don't care about the Wild West, uh, and so Ooh. these are, these are things that give it strikes against it. So I'm reading it, and I think this is a, a well-written book. It is just not my cup of tea. Uh, and, and kind of the same thing happened in, uh, up, what is the Updraft. Thing Updraft. Called? Updraft. There you go. I was going to say Uplifted. I knew that wasn't right. Uh, it's in between in that. Two, no, yeah. Exactly. In that I thought it was good. Uh, I'm just not its target audience, clearly. I uh, I liked it. I think one of the things that it did really effectively is, uh, and you know what? A lot of books don't do this, is it really made me um, feel the injustice that uh, Kirit experiences when she like doesn't get her flying license. And it really made me hate the uh, the uh, the villains, essentially. They're so bad. They make me so mad. And I thought, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. Sometimes they're villains, and I'm like, yeah, oh, that guy's bad. You're going to have to take care of him. And in Updraft, I really did feel that thing that I think is really effective, perhaps even more effective in, in YA and in, t- in teen kind of stuff, where you want to feel that, like, oh, man, they're they're holding me down. I You know, parents just don't understand, that sort of thing. Right. And I it's really felt that here. Me down. It was It was super yeah. effective in, in making me making me cranky about the people who, who didn't, <laughs> um, you know, didn't uh, let Carrot do what she deserved to do. When she gets, when she passes her test and they fail her because they don't like her, I, you know, I really did feel exactly what what uh, the author wanted me to feel, which was kind of outrage. It's so unfair, and yeah. uh, that's good. That's very effective. Yeah, yeah. It's something I love about the book too, because even when you like you go d- to down and dip different levels of the Bone Tower, and you see how this society basically has a class structure oh, yeah. that they don't really want to talk about. Um, I forgot his name, but the the fellow who has some kind of uh, mental disability, right? And he's just collecting like garbage on the lower levels. Yeah, the bottom levels. Yeah, yeah. And this whole system set up precisely so he can be down there doing this this pointless job. But it's not pointless. Of course, he has to be there. The whole right. class structure requires him to be there so that the tower doesn't rot because he's got to clean all the garbage. It's just it's it's a system that is like at every level it just feels it's not like you said right it's not fair but it's not that like childish it's not fair like you stomp your feet right it's sort of like no it's it's seriously unfair right. it's a messed up system yeah. yeah I I read him more as a hoarder and not a person there for any purpose just that nobody else wanted to occupy the bottom levels and so that's where he ended up not that he was and it turns out in the plot that there are actually reasons why he is who he is and yeah. why he's there and yeah. that, that's part of the if I had one complaint about this book and I do it's this one um, it's that <laughs> it's that I feel like if you imagine Star Wars literally Luke is found on a on Tatooine and he's never been off his planet before and by the end of 90 minutes of the movie Star Wars um, he has defeated everything and the emperor is dead and there's a a whole new you know democracy in place in the galaxy that's sort of what happens here i feel like it's too easy and i know that there mm-hmm. there are lots of lots of dramatic things that happen but but uh she like literally overthrows in, in this again spoilers but come on no she dies at the end and everything's terrible of course no she <laughs> she she is victorious but i would say her victory seems a little too comprehensive it turns out that she sort of falls into a, a larger plot that's going on a larger mm-hmm. set of dissidents
evidence. There's a, a tower that's supposedly been abandoned, but there's actually secret information there that she's been she's been uh, accidentally she and her friend have been gathering. It, it seemed like a little too coincidental, a little too easy. And the fact that although there are some very exciting moments where the bad guys get defeated, um, it 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 seemed like. Uh, like it just seemed too easy. It seemed like too, too comprehensive a victory here for this, that, that all she had to do was a few things and it leads to the complete collapse of the system that's been in place for a very long time. I guess that would be my complaint is that, is that, you know, yay, it's great. It's a fun story that she's so victorious, but, uh, it, you know, in the end, it turns out everything in the world is aligned so that she can step into this one slot and change everything. And, and, and that, that bothered me a little bit. You know, Jason, I think you just articulated a lot better than I did what my problem with it was is because almost all of those things that you're talking about sort of happen fairly fast at the end. And yes. you're right. She mm-hmm. does just fall into all this stuff. And, and it's like a bunch of dominoes just going bam, 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 bam. And and I think that was that was it. If 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 she had to work for it a little harder, or more things had to happen to make all of that work, then I don't think I would have had the same sort of feeling of, of rushing at the end. Yeah, I kind of wanted her to win a hard-earned victory that suggested that this world was going to change. And instead, she wins a an, a hard-earned but absolute victory where the world is changed. And it just felt like, I, I'm not saying I wanted this split into three books that tells the story in a whole no. big story arc. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it, it seemed awfully abrupt, like suddenly, you know, yeah, suddenly everything changes and there's complete victory at the end. And maybe that's just because I'm a jaded adult, but uh, the yeah. world kind of doesn't <laughs> <Could> move. <be. laughs> quite that fast it seems it just seems a little too simple and then the and then the bad man went away the end right it's just a little too simple for me jason you do you do realize you have set up a problem now because you've just said i didn't want this to be three books so when they make this a movie it's going to be a trilogy yeah and it's going to take nine hours and it's going to be peter jackson making but, it but sean we're going to learn everything there is to know about what it's like to uh to uh start bone growth and build a bone uh bridge between two towers and that's going to be pulse pounding i think Whew. Uh, yes, in 3d you'll be on the edge of your seat during the engineering scene it'll be benedict cumberbatch as the bones right <laughs> <laughs> we 3D scanned Benedict's bones and used them as our model for the bones that cheek we use bones. in the towers. The cheekbones. The cheekbones. Mm-hmm. So the spire is made from the cheekbones of Benedict Cumberbatch. The other thing about the book is death is very, like, whatever. You know? <laughs> like, they're, they're taking their flying test and, like, literally someone dies. And it's like, well, you know, I guess those people are dead. We lost them to that's the clouds. Just, yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of it. And it's like, what a what an interesting thing like it's not a big deal you spend all this time talking about like they're talking about taking classes and how you have to be careful and you have to you know there are ways to signal your intent and like all of this stuff and then someone dies and it's not it's not even like a teachable moment it's just oh someone died okay yeah uh, and and then when when a main character one one of our our uh, the best friend of Kirit dies um, it's so very transparently, he disappears below the clouds. We'll never see him again. Yeah. Yes, forget he ever existed. <laughs> anyway, I, I complain about it, but it, it is really enjoyable. It is a, it is a fun read. It is a it is a uh, a fascinating world. Um, the the flying stuff. I mean, who hasn't had a, at least a dream where they f- can fly and hear these people fly around between these towers? That it was a lot of fun. I just uh, yeah. 
Sorry, and I, I've detailed the thing. That my problem is that the end seems a little too completely victorious and abrupt. But uh, but it's good. I liked it very much. All right, um, All right. let's move on. How about that? What's next? What's next, Jason? Computer. No Emmys. No Emmys. Barsk, the Elephant's Graveyard by Lawrence M. Schoen is next on our list. Barsk is a is a a very strange book. I would say this is the book that I felt is indefinably science fiction and fantasy mm-hmm. smushed together. It has both spaceships and magical telepathic uh, fortune-telling elephant people um, all together talking <laughs> animals, talking animals that are also, that are not fantastical, but sort of science fictional in origin. A fascinating connection. You know, our main character is a, an elephant like human. He's one of the, uh, the fant. Uh, they are the, uh, they are like, sort of like the characters, the earth uh, magic people in the fifth season. They are hated by everybody else in the galaxy. Uh, but, but there is this, there are spaceships connecting all these different worlds and the the fant have this uh on their rainy planet they've got uh this drug that is sort of used to to uh create a, a, a sort of uh a state a sort of a psychic uh state but it also is used as a drug for other for other creatures on other other planets all of the aliens in this are analogs of animals uh, that we know from the present day, and uh, and then it's a story of this one this one little elephant who is uh, who is the wrong color Dibar. and is and is uh, <laughs> and is not supposed to exist and is shunned by his entire race. So he's it's like that old joke about how the you know my my brother beat up on me and my father beat up on my brother and the people next door beat up on our family and the people down the hall beat up on it's like that. This kid is at the bottom. This little elephant is at the bottom of the hierarchy nobody likes the elephants and none of the elephants like him uh and uh and guess what happens that turns out that character uh jural is special has some special (laughs) powers is connected to a legendary uh elephant from history not babar uh and uh and suddenly almost everybody it's like almost everybody in the galaxy will suddenly uh have their fate uh, impacted by what this outcast elephant person does. And that is what Barsk is about. <laughs> I've yeah. seen this story hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's Pislo. Pis, Joral and Pislo are the two elephants that we get to know in this. I was not looking forward to this book. I left it until <laughs> one of the last ones because I knew it was about elephants. It has elephant in the title. Yeah. And, you know, elephants and other animals. And that is such a quick way to turn me off a book. I don't care for stories about animals, especially when they are told from the animal's POV. Um, and just knowing that sort of gave me flashbacks to one of the terrible Hugo short story nominees from last year that mm. I made the mistake of reading. Um, but then once I actually started reading it and got into it, I was so thoroughly engaged engaged these characters you're right they were clearly people they weren't animals they were they were animal like people um and but they're still people so i could just sort of sit back and enjoy the story and i thought that this one felt very sci-fi despite the you know somewhat fantasy elements it it felt sci-fi because you had these different planets with different types of people and spaceships and space stations and a secret mysterious history the protagonist has to discover or stumble upon and you know you've got this quote-unquote scientific particle that allows communication with dead people 
and telepathy and lots of social commentary couched in the differences between the different species of, of people. Um, so it felt it felt very much like a classic type of science fiction story uh, without feeling old. I think the only thing that made me uncomfortable was just it really was it really was showing you lots of, you know, racism and differences between the different animals. And I kept my brain kept wanting to sort of apply that to the real world. And it made me uncomfortable the whole time as I was doing that. But the story itself was was really, really good. Yeah. What about uh, everybody else? Aline, did you read this one? I did. I liked it. Um, I just finished it a couple days ago. And um, it w- it wasn't my favorite of of the books. Well, I've already stated what my favorite was, but um, <laughs> I I liked it. I liked the um. It was definitely I I thought the most creative and fantastical of any of them. I mean, you've got you know the I don't know I I don't anthropomorph say the word anthropomorphize <laughs> that one. I don't uh you know like animals are not. I don't read a lot of books where, where animals are very human. Like, um, it's like, like Erica, it's not really my thing, but I thought this was really well done. I thought it was, it was really, really interesting. And I'd kind of, since I'd read all the others first and I considered all the others more fantasy ish, um, I kind of liked having a science fiction break, um, in it too. So, um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I thought that there was a lot of good writing in it, a lot of good characterization, um, and some interesting, I don't know, commentary on on prophecy and mm. the accuracy of prophecy yeah. and in um, uh, interpretations of. Um, and so I thought that was also that was also good. Sean, what do you think? So this is one of the ones that I was not able to finish, uh, but I will say that I this is not the book that I didn't finish because I didn't want to. Hmm. So, All right. uh, which will come to that one later, I'm sure. I suspect. Uh, Put that on the back cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I will say that that the parts that I had read, I mean, this is a book that I definitely want to finish because it's definitely right up my alley, the kind of book that I would latch on to. Uh, so I've what I have read, I have really enjoyed, but I have not read enough to really – I can't I can't judge the book. I really like this book. Um, I like the fact that – I like it when characters uh, suffer, and mm. so there's there's suffering in this book. Uh, I like the fact that all the other animals hate the elephants because they don't have fur, uh, which uh, I, is just you know uh, a good uh, you know it shows you how silly uh, you know, racism and all that stuff is because it's like you know whatever you're all animals we're all animals let's just get along right uh, and I like how the main, one of the characters really wants to serve in whatever you know the Starfleet uh, equivalent is and so he's like the first uh, person from the planet yeah, to Joel. ever do it he's like yes, Spock and- he is, but everybody hates him. Yeah, uh, and they wash him out. They send like him Spock. back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, get out, and then he and there's so much stuff going on. Like they're you know the talking animals, and then they find uh you know a, a, a supercomputer cube, and uh the elephants uh, get on little boats when they're about to die and float off to their death. But in well, these are spoilers. They they are their death process is interrupted by uh, a submarine. I think it is. It's just all kinds of crazy stuff yeah. going on. 
in this book. Uh, and then you get the prophecies and the little uh, kid who can, you know, basically talk to the uh, planet and he, you know, he jumps. Uh, people think he's weird and they ignore him so he can just kind of walk so around cute. and steal yeah. stuff mm -hmm. because nobody wants to acknowledge he exists so he just can do whatever he wants. Uh, so I think this this book has a lot going for yeah. it. I, I really loved it. Um, for a lot of the same reasons. I like the, talking about prophecy, there's a line that I actually highlighted, which is, uh, wait, you're saying you knew I would do this 100 years before I was born? Well, I knew something or someone would precipitate a crisis. Are you responsible for this? <laughs> of course not. You're just a piece on the board. You're not playing the game. I, I love that, that it's, uh, and I think his response is, what game? You're a crazy old woman who died a long time ago. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to deal it. But, but it's, it's so the, the prophecy is all kind of shaky. There's this character, was it Lilith, who's the, the otter? Um, oh, yes. And she's grumpy, and we, we see her on her planet where she's been partying it up, and then suddenly she and gets called like in on, on this assignment, and, and it's to this cold uh, dark, cold uh, metallic space station in orbit around the, the planet of the elephants, and I, I, I thought that was really evocative, like the, the, the contrast between this dense tree, you know, forest because the cities are in the forest where the elephants live and uh and then you go to the to the, like the the uh, antarctica basically and it's miserable and cold and awful there and then you go up to this the sterile uh space station and the end of this book similar to updraft is has a dramatic change of um uh, a sequence of events that's dramatic, and yet I bought it. I guess because I felt like uh, maybe with the uh, with the whole prophecy thing that's going on, and the fact that one of the characters is politically important from early on, and, and that the the predicament of the elephants is sort of artificial to begin with, that they've kind of put walled them off on the side. I I, I felt like I I, I believed the uh, surprising things that happen at the end, um, and I I just I really yeah I I will remember images from this book for a long time um because it is like scott said so strange and so yeah things that you just think okay i guess we're gonna do that now all right that <laughs> it's just enjoyable to be taken on that ride by a writer and to this just and, and that and that it doesn't cheat the other thing that i think is great there's a scene early on where they find an artifact that is from from uh the you know the dawn of time from before they can remember history and it's destroyed um but it turns out that later we get to access that information and it explains explains why there are all of these aliens that actually seem like animals. And that explanation is completely reasonable and understandable. And you learn a sort of a secret of the history of the galaxy. And I thought that was all really, uh, really great too, that, it, that in some ways it's, it's a wrap, it's a, it's uh, all wrapped in fantasy tropes. And then you peel, a, peel back the surface and you discover it's science fiction underneath, mm -hmm. which I liked. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about the characters just, just really yeah. quickly. Like Pislo is adorable. adorable. Um, I felt like I, I, I did kind of wonder if the author had been around many six year olds because it, it kind of felt like a six year old through an adult's eyes. And I don't know if that's what it was supposed to be. Um, but, but just, just cute and creative and rambunctious and in trouble and a six year old, you know, through an adult size. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, really liked that. And I also just want to say, Joral, the main character, is a scholar and and he gets to do whatever he wants to do. And he is he is like the main character of the story. And we don't get that very often. So um yay for scholars and writers because we rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It's unlike anything that I've ever read, I would say. 
And I yes. did. And I then like the, what the, the Senator or counselor guy was like a yak or something. And yes. I just found that amusing. And I like the pandas were like security guards. Uh, it just delighted me, this whole book. All right, let's move on. The, uh, the random novelatron next, uh, demands that we speak about Ancillary Mercy by Anne Leckie, the third book in the trilogy that began with Ancillary Justice, uh, winner of the Hugo Awards for Best Novel a couple of years back. Uh, this is, uh, an- ancillary mercy follows the characters that you've met before in uh in ancillary justice and ancillary sword and uh takes it to more or less a conclusion that pays off a lot of stuff um from the first couple of books what do people think of ancillary mercy Aline, i assume you didn't read this one no i powered my way through through the entire series wow. earlier this year mm-hmm. um i did not like the series at all i like at all i'm so sorry but i i i went so far as to read it all and then go read amazon reviews trying to figure out what i missed because it just felt painful to me the entire time it was like when i read twilight kind of because i read twilight and people were like oh it's really good you you know it's it's great and i read twilight and i was like i don't get it i don't understand what people like about it and that's how i felt about this and so when I finished I was like I've got to figure out what I don't get because very clearly there's something I'm not understanding it has like four and 4.6 stars on Amazon or something and I still don't get it like I do not get why people love it I'm yeah it's okay to not like things that other people like (sighs) that's that's all right it's all right for things to be not for you But I don't, the the problem is not necessarily that I don't like it. It's that I don't understand why other people do. And I'm trying to. It sounds like you didn't like it. I didn't like it. (laughs) All right. Well, who liked it? I like, I I like, I like Twilight too. So I don't know. I I did like this. This is another one I was, was not really looking forward to reading. Um, I liked Ancillary Justice, but I wasn't particularly fond of Ancillary Sword. And I was kind of afraid this was just going to be more of the same. And if it hadn't been nominated for an award, I'm not even sure I would have ever gotten around to reading it. Uh, But I felt like this was much more to my taste because in addition to the political machinations that we sort of had before, um, we got some social machinations involving AIs. And that is what I am there for in this series. I um, I love the first book so much because in addition to being an introduction to this universe, it was an examination of what it means to be a person and what it... uh, it's sort of a look at an AI from the inside. And I love that. Uh, and there was some of that in, in the middle book, but I think much of that was framed around a character that I really didn't like. And here we get to see more ships and their interactions with each other, with people, with a space station. And I love that there are social differences and hierarchies, even within the world of AIs. Um, mm. and, and then you get the fight for for rights for AIs and, and, and robots. You know, that's that's hardly a new thing in sci-fi, but I feel like the way it's done here is fresh and interesting and and tied up with galaxy-spanning politics. And while I wasn't sure I wanted to read this book before I started it, now I am interested in reading pretty much anything else that's set in this universe. So I guess I will also give a uh, recommendation if you uh, if you like this universe and want to read more, there is a I can't remember if it's a novella or a novelette called The Nalander, uh, which is set in the same universe. It doesn't have any of the same characters, but uh, it first appeared in Andromeda Spaceways in flight magazine in 2008. But it was in issue two of Uncanny Magazine last year. So you can read it for free online. Sean, what did you think of uh, Ancillary Mercy? So I really love the Ancillary series altogether. I, I, these books are like my jam. 
they're just really good. I taught Ancillary Justice in the fall and just had a blast teaching that book. It was a lot of fun. I will agree that Ancillary Sword is not as strong. Uh, and I think that Ancillary Mercy is actually a stronger book than Ancillary Sword. And I think part of it is what, Erica, you were suggesting, which is that it really digs into this question of self or personhood for Breck mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, this book felt to me, and, and I, it's been a while since I've read Ancillary Sword, so maybe I'm totally off base, but it felt to me like this was Breck at his or her most vulnerable. I get to be careful there because there are the pronoun issues <laughs> you can uh, say there there is okay there uh, well, well there isn't used in the book at all no. right there is not well, used in the book so it would be the book she yeah. yeah but yeah but in any case um yeah i i love the vulnerability for the character in this particular book i also liked how well to be honest i find the presker to be like the the funniest alien species I have read in a long time. I kept cracking up every time that Presker was asking about eggs and just wanting to get <laughs> eggs. Wants the fish eggs. Sauce. It's fish sauce. Fish sauce and eggs. And I'm just like, this is like, these books have never really been funny, right? They've always been kind of that, they've got this kind of dark, almost not quite grim darky, but a little that dark tone to it. And suddenly this book was just every time the Presker said something, I just I was just laughing because it's always funny. The Presker are weird and it's wonderful and it brings some joy to this book. So I, I overall, I just I really loved it. I love the plot and the idea. I like how it sort of brings us to a conclusion for the series based entirely on what was the big concern that wasn't, I think, fully addressed in Ancillary Justice, which is who is Breck? Can a ship, an AI ship? Uh, become a person uh, and what does that mean in the context of a universe of sort of xenophobic crazy cloned mutated humans hmm. uh, yeah you know my is is insane uh, both versions all versions of it her that's part gets <laughs> the a little emperor. confusing yeah. yes the emperor <laughs> the the two different versions of the emperor warring uh, well, this is this is the problem with ancillary Mercy is that I was so excited when it came out. I pre-ordered it and I read it immediately when it came out, which means <laughs> I remember almost ago. nothing of what happens in it. Uh, although looking at my Goodreads, I gave it five stars. So uh, I liked it uh, when I read it. And as I'm listening to to people talk about it, things are coming back to mind. So like the tea set that they find, and there's a lot of tea in this uh, yeah. trilogy. Uh, and, and it kind of pays off, I think, in this book because they find this tea set and there's all kinds of stuff happens and, you know, it means something. Thing and then it's destroyed and Hawkins. That was in this book, right? That's not yeah. in another yep. book. Yeah, okay, good. Book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was getting my books mixed up. So I really liked it. Uh, I think, Jason, you've talked about this before how she kind of, uh, and Lucky, uh, the first book is kind of, you know, uh, a huge scope. Uh, and then it, it, it seems to, the scope seems to focus more and more as the trilogy goes on, which is uh, an interesting uh, choice. Um, and so, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it it starts out. You think that it's going to be this really wide, wide, wide screen epic about the the overthrow of this empire and these these two different warring versions of the emperor. And in Ancillary Sword, it's a smaller story. I always joke that the end of Ancillary Justice is setting up Star Trek: The Next Generation, but Ancillary Sword is Deep Space Nine. They spend all their time kind of on a <laughs> on a space station um, instead of on their ship. 
And Ancillary Mercy, I was also surprised um, because I thought perhaps we had left the station behind and would tell another story. And instead, they go back to the station and the whole book takes place once again with these characters around this space station. But what happens in the third book is that you get that little through the cracks, you get the sense of what's happening. What's the backstory? Why, you know, why is this all happening and what's going on uh, in the rest of the Empire? So you do in, in that way, I feel like the um the stakes rise in the third book or at least your awareness of the stakes Im- improves that uh when you're talking about AIs and what they mean and you know are they able to make these decisions on their own and uh and what what are the ramifications for the whole imperial raj uh i think that's all really interesting um and I, I like the payoffs. I feel like this is a book that that uh, on its own, it's fine. But um, it, you know, she is uh, Anne Leckie is bringing a lot of the character beats, a lot of the 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 things that happen at the end of this are paying off our knowledge of these characters over the, uh, at least a book, if not two books. And I think that that's really strong. That that um, it, it's much stronger because it's a third book and that it's using our knowledge of these characters effectively. So I liked it. I didn't, I didn't love it. I, you know, I think the first novel is vastly superior to both of the, the, the next two. It's not that they're bad, but that the first one had a, had a scope and a, and a, 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 I don't know, an originality to it that these feel a little less like they have, but, um, but uh, still, I thought it was good. I thought it was well done. And I like this universe. And I like I, I, I agree with Sean, the, the whole thing with the ambassador. We, we haven't actually met the Presker, right? It's just they they like raise humans themselves and then send those back to us to be their ambassadors. And they aren't they very good at, translators. Yeah, they're not very good as humans. <laughs> and they don't know who they are. No, like they have trouble with their own identities. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hilarious and yet brilliant in that way. So, yeah. So I thought it was a good end to the to the trilogy, and I liked it, but um, but you know, not as strong as the first one. I think, yeah, I think maybe stronger than the second one. Although some of that might just be my expectations. I really expected it to go in a different direction than it did, um, and it turns out this is a story she wants to tell about Breck and everybody, uh, you know, and Sivardin and and Tisarwat and uh, these characters that we focus in on, and not about like how the how the civil war of this empire uh, is going to be seen in a you know, in a big, on a big screen. It's not about that. Yes. If you're only going to read one, read the first one. Read the first one. Also, yeah. it'll make more sense. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then read the third one and then read the second one. Yeah. I think. That would be my order. <laughs> yeah, because that'd be great. Yeah. Not chronological at all. No. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. The uh, Random Bookatron says next, we <gasps> should discuss The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu. Uh, who would like to talk about the grace of Kings? Please <laughs> not me. The grace of Kings. Please not me. I that's, didn't. That's so, the... so this is the book that I, I, I attempted, but did not finish. I abandoned the grace of Kings. Same. That will tell you where I rank it out of seven. It would be number seven. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. I'm going there. Okay. That's, this is not the one that I didn't finish. I did finish it. Uh, I almost stopped a couple of times. Uh, it, 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 but I ended up, I ended up quite enjoying it, but it took me a while to get into it. And I think Sean is going to say too long and I'm going to agree 100% with that if he does. Um, but it is, it's, it's not exactly my kind of book, which is something that I just sort of realized early on and, and decided to go with anyway. It is very much a story of events. This is a recounting of 
of a great upheaval in the history of a land. So there are a lot of characters. Uh, but I didn't feel like I was getting to know any of them very well. Nobody had much of an inner life. It was it was a lot more like reading characters in a fairy tale who are just doing things. Um, you know which ones are good. You know which ones are bad for the most part. Uh, you know which ones doubt themselves. But I didn't feel like I knew most of the characters. And the few that I did, I didn't really care about very much. Um, <laughs> but, but but by the end, I was interested in, in the events. And, and I was quite fascinated by this book's treatment of women. Um, I didn't feel like there were enough female characters for me to really, really get into it. But there are paragraphs and exchanges that made me want to stand up and cheer. Um, this this is very much not a world in which women and men are, are simply equal. Um, but the women in the story have exactly as much inner life and agency as the men do, which, you know, the inner life, not so much. Um, but women are not taken to task for operating within the boundaries of the society that they live in, which was, was kind of nice. There's there's one nice exchange between two of the female characters, Soto and Gia, in which Gia is hesitant to try to influence her husband to do something because, quote unquote, received wisdom uh, tells her that it's improper. And Soto turns around and points out that their society simply won't allow her to become a statesman herself or take to the battlefield. She can't do any of these male roles. So why shouldn't she be able to use the only power society has left her, uh, which I thought was kind of a, a nice little point. Um, and, it, you know, she says, sure, society in the ancient texts would look down on on you for that. Um, but those ancient texts are simply another way of subjugating women. So I like that the book recognized that it treated women kind of lousily, like this society did. Um, and eventually, we there is a female character that totally bucks the system. But honestly, I feel like that ends up mostly being in the negative column for me, because if you are still introducing new characters with full backstories on page 400, that is mm -hmm. a problem in my eyes. Um, so, so that was, so while I ended up liking that character, I was kind of annoyed that we were getting somebody brand new that I was supposed to like that late in the game. Um, and then there was also a really interesting and straightforward discussion of polyamory that was very non-judgmental non and quite lovely. So I felt like there were a lot of, of bits and pieces in this book that I quite enjoyed, you know, social commentary type things, but the story itself, um, just sort of read out like a, an overly long fairy tale, which by the end I enjoyed, but uh, it's it's pretty far down my list as far as the ones that I liked of these. Scott? Uh, this is, uh, I, I'm looking at my Goodreads once again. Uh, <laughs> Consult the backup <laughs> brain. Exactly. Uh, I gave this five stars, so clearly I liked it. And uh, this is kind of a book that appeals to me. Once I started reading it, I knew that I was going to like it because I do like these stories where uh, the characters are just kind of cogs in the gears of history. Mm -hmm. And every so once in a while, they try to, you know, try to push out uh, from their boundaries and try to affect events. Uh, so I agree with Erica that it's a lot of kind of recounting events and battles and battle plans and uh, mechanical whales. And uh, although Erica didn't mention this, but uh, <laughs> they're there. Uh, and so it just kind of like it, it spoke to me. It reminded me a lot of uh, K.J. Parker's um, The Engineer Trilogy, which is the story about this guy who really wants to get his revenge. And he sets off this elaborate kind of uh, revenge plot. Um, and it reminded me that just because the events kind of happen, there are two main characters and they, they're both trying to, you know, through different means, uh, 
recreate this empire that falls like in the first maybe 200 pages of the book. I don't even remember. It's a long book. Uh, so I really liked it. It appealed to me on that level. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, clearly, because there are lots of characters and lots of stuff happening uh, that surely could have been cut out. But uh, I enjoyed it. And I think Ken Liu is a really good writer. Uh, so I enjoyed the whole thing. Hmm. Sean? Yes. Yeah, so for the so yes, Erica, you are correct that I am going to say that, good God, this book is too, too darn long. Too long. <laughs> too long. This book. Look, to be totally frank, when I look at the books, I'm staring at them right now, and they all have very beautiful covers, but all of these books could do with cutting minimum 50 pages. <laughs> Some cases, upwards of two to 300 pages could go. You can guess which books need to lose those. <laughs> uh, Grace of Kings, I, I really like this book, and I understand why, because uh, I had some difficulty getting into it as well. Uh I, I felt like where the book should have had its meat, sometimes it left them out. Like there would be scenes where like a chapter would end and it's like, and by the way, they beat the battle and they just won it and then they went and had tea. And I'm like, what? but you just set this whole chapter up was leading us to the battle. And then you just like, what, you, what happened? Like, did, and who died? Who lived? Right. What, what what went on in this whole scenario? So we don't need to know that. Um, so I, I felt like at times, like there were some choices that I th I don't think – I would have made if I were a legitimate writer and was getting published like Ken Liu, uh, just in terms of what was not shown versus what was shown. And there was just a lot going on. And I think you're right, Erica, like introducing characters so far into the book is sort of like, no, we need to just, we need to like actually deal with the characters we've got first. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get them to an end point. And if there's a second book, then you can introduce this other person. Um, I will say that this book does, though, have some super memorable scenes. I did overall enjoy it. Uh, the scene Eric already brought up, uh, that scene is, a, is really amazing. And the one that actually, the, the, the sort of early counter is with, with Gia when she's sort of like pissing off her suitors. Mm -hmm. And her mom's getting so mad at her because she's like, <laughs> like, go write me a poem. And the, this like guy goes and writes her poem and it's terrible. And she's like, writes a poem on the spot, insulting him. And he runs away in a huff. And I just like, I loved her attitude and the character. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun to read her character uh, when she was actually there. Um, and I also like the general who had like his kite battle, mm -hmm. which is just the most insane thing. Just to imagine, he's just up there floating around, and he's like, bring it on! And then he's like, wacha! Like, ninja style in the sky. <laughs> um, it was really cool. Uh, so, I mean, overall, I really did enjoy it, but I do agree. Like, it's just, there, there's there's meat that needed to go. Well, no, I would say fat. Fat needs mm -hmm. to go. There needs to be some, some of that, and maybe some areas could have done with more meat, just to give us a little bit more. It seems like, again, because there aren't personalities to latch on to and to, to kind of endear myself to I'm having a really really hard time with it and um yeah I'm I'm a very people driven person I'm not like a war stories driven person so it just might not be for me yeah yeah well I that's I, fair I agree with you um I I I have I have some serious problems with the way this book is structured because essentially he introduces us to a lot of characters. Okay, that's fine. He sets up a very sets up a very interesting world, interesting history. You have the the you know this these disparate kingdoms that are kind of brought together into this one empire, but then uh, the the emperor dies and things fall apart and there's a war to decide who's going to be in charge of it, and that's all very interesting. 
Um, and I'm okay with tracking lots of characters. Like there were a lot of really interesting characters that we meet along the way. But this book tends to do this thing where it just is constantly, it's just choppy. It's choppy. There are speed bumps constantly where you end up with, yeah. uh, you know, you're following these characters and you're following the thread. And there are a lot of characters, but it's okay. You're going to be able to hold it together. And then he just sets off on, it's literally like, let me take you over to my uh, table over here where I'm staging a naval battle. Um, and I'm going to tell you where all the ships go. And we're going to zoom out all the way away from the characters. And uh, because, hey, who doesn't like describing made up ship battles that ha- that didn't ever happen, but are, are in great detail for this book. And it's actually one of the reasons that I dislike so much military science fiction is that uh, the author seems to be just so enamored with the uh, specifics of the thing that he's invented. And um, I don't care. And that happened repeatedly in this book to the point I tried three times to pick this back mm-hmm. up and read it. And I I couldn't do it because every time we would get somewhere, we'd be like, yes, we're back to the characters and we're going to see how all of this affects them. We would then then go to another zoom out giant battle, um, strange shorthand where sometimes, you, as was previously said, you expect things to have, uh, okay, we've set this all up. Now we're going to see what happens. And instead it's just skipped over like, oh, but that's not important. And then something else that doesn't seem important at all or could be related to characters we care about in a shorthand to explain what happened that are instead given this huge scale and scope, like I'm reading a supplemental material for a role-playing game or something like that. So no offense to supplemental material. (laughs) No, I was going to say supplemental material is a great, great way to put it, because I think I I think I had that thought as well, that I ended up skimming a lot of those battle scenes you were talking about. Yeah. And I did have the thought, which I had forgotten about until you said that while I was reading it, that I wished that there had been some appendices to the book. You know, I would have been fine with having all of that information available to readers who are in love with this world and want to delve into it and, and find out all that stuff. But some of the history and a lot of the battles, I, I thought, would have made great appendices for for detail hounds, whereas, you know, people like me who really care more about the people could maybe get through it more easily. Yeah, I think I think if the the battles that are here to cut those back and put more focus on some of the sort of diplomacy scenes and then actually give us some meaty battles that really that way, it's sort of like a build up. We get this kind of build up to actual battles and we get to see the characters being developed in all the all the rest of it, I think that would be much stronger because I I do feel like the best moments in the book have nothing to do with battles, with the exception of the general kite guy, which I the, I will remember that for a very long time because it, I want to see that in a movie someday. Um, but I some of the most memorable scenes are scenes where it's it's not characters talking about war or in war; it's about sort of the culture. It's the scene Erica was raising, right, about discussing the role of women. Uh, it's Gia screwing with her uh, suitors. It's uh, the people together talking about their future children. Uh, those those scenes I felt were, th- those were much better scenes, and I would have liked more of those to sort of have that. I, it would Maybe it's just because I'm a sap and I just kind of want some more romance in this book. But. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want more of anything in this book, but I, I do think it would have been a better book if they had just taken out uh, some of the scenes that are the the zoom back and let me tell you about this naval battle and things like that and just didn't have them. But I guess, Erica, that is one way to approach this book, which is to just do a lot of skimming. And I didn't do that. And I, that's why I could never get through it. I that feel bad. Fair. I don't abandon books very often, but oh, Jason, it's okay. We still <laughs> yeah. love you. Yeah, thank Life you. Life is short, man. Yeah. Don't, don't keep reading the books you don't want to read. Yeah, Scott told me to stop twice. 
before I finally wow. listened to him. Yeah, I, I did. Wow. If you're not, wow. uh, you know, if you don't like a book, just stop reading it. <laughs> well, but I think the problem is that I liked it enough to keep going for a while, and then I would just hit these speed bumps and be like, uh, "Why am I reading this?" <laughs> yeah, I know what that's like. That's why I started the audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on and talk about Raising Cain. Oh, man. The third book in the Tales of the Terran Republic starring Cain Reardon, also referred to in the for the past two years when we talked about the two previous books in this trilogy as Johnny Squarejaw, super amazing guy, Cain Reardon, <clears throat> who's good at everything and everybody mm, yes. loves him. And what? what? Yeah. What do I have to do to stop reading these books? Well, I think maybe uh, <laughs> just you just need to be able to stop. Life's too short, man. Maybe Jason uh, needs to tell you to stop twice. Uh, I'm a completist. Yeah, that's why I powered through it is because I'd read the first two books and I was halfway through and I thought, you know, I just should get to the end of this trilogy. I really should probably do that. And so I did. And so I got to the end. Uh, what, what, did, uh, what did people think of Raising Cain? Can, uh, should uh, I explain it? Yeah. I should explain it. This is the third book in a series. It's about this uh, in the galaxy. There are a bunch of alien races, but it turns out in the last book of the series, the book two, <gasps> that one of the alien races is not in a like a, an iron lung because they've got weird weird yeah, chemistry, but in fact, ice worms. they're humans who Ooh. what who were taken from the Earth or something like that uh, a long time ago and uh, have gone off on their own and they've got a, a whole like uh, martial culture and they're mean and and they don't have love and they're they're genetically engineered. <laughs> And they are, it's for those who've judgmental. read Lois McMaster Bujold, they're basically the Cetagandans. It's kind of a lift from Cetaganda. Uh, they're very similar in, in, in so many ways, yeah. except with less art. They don't have as much uh, funky sculpture as the Cetagandans, but they are a, they don't need sculpture. but they are our families intertwined, uh, interbreeding and genetic engineering is key in what they do. And they're very much uh, focused on their, uh, on their, uh, you know, wars and, uh, internal power struggles. And we spend a lot of time with them in raising Cain. Like half the book is through the perspective of these newly introduced characters with confusing names who are kind of unpleasant. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yeah, and then the other half is uh, Kane Reardon, Reardon. Uh, having, uh, you know, super smart professional people start to explain something to uh -huh. him and then him say, no, no, let me guess. And then he gets it exactly right. And they're all like, you're uh. amazing, Kane Reardon. <laughs> he is. He's so amazing. I didn't like yeah. this book. <laughs> I have many issues. Let it out. Yeah, well, you can you can bounce in because I'm sure that some of these will, will fit with you. Yeah. Um, this is a book that easily could be 200 pages shorter if yep. you just took out every scene where it explains something we don't need. For example, oh. uh, the great the one that stuck with me because it's the point at which I actually stopped in the book. And, and let me, I'll explain later where I should have checked out, but I didn't. Um, okay. uh there's a moment when the like this like robotic -y alien guy is explaining what these weird spindly mammal floating skeeter bug monsters are and is explaining like the whole evolutionary cycle and their reproduction cycle yep. and like everything about them and my thought is like wait why there you're running you you just crash landed your ship you're running away from people who want to kill you why are you talking about the skeeter bug just get on it just get on it and go to the place you need to go and hurry up. You just spent like six hours talking about a skeeter bug, giant skeeter bug, who's got like a, a penis in its ankle or whatever. Yep. And now, and now, like in the whole time, Reardon, you're dying. You're dying because like you can't breathe this crazy air. A lot of showing your oh. work. A lot of showing your work. In fact, I, I highlighted Throughout a passage. The book. I highlighted a passage that I'd like to read to you now. Sean, I think you'll really enjoy this. Oh, boy. 
Half a day I'm before gonna, oh. Monolith shifted out, an Aboriginal craft shifted in near Planet 2. It was an Arad core prize they seized during the fleet actions in Sigma Dr- Draconis. Our servitors on board the Tosio shift carrier already orbiting Planet 2, the Gaia Nanasku, learned of the Slasrithi invitation from that prize ship. They relayed the news to us using a trickle code protocol. Single, seemingly random signals set over the course of several hours. He pointed to GJ-1230. So, knowing that these envoys are making for Beta Aqua, we can be relatively certain that they must pass through this system or one slightly further along. There are whole chapters like this, people. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, I read the book and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's like there are points in the book where I'm like, I'm really digging this. Like, yeah, this is a lot of fun right now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some stuff going mm-hmm. on. This is fun. And then it's like, did not happen as you me. know, Bob, there's <laughs> yeah. this thing that's happening, Mr. Roard. And, blah, 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 and as like, you know, Kane reiterated, yes, talking. I do know. I know all the things. That yes, Kane let me say this instead of you. <laughs> How did you know? And it wouldn't okay, be reason. so bad if like they were if if the only time they did that was they were explaining things that were kind of pertinent to what was happening at that moment. But like this this particular book was the one that bugged me the most out of all of his books because I, I do enjoy his books. But this one just really bugged me. And it's because he explains things that we don't need to know. Yeah, we do. We it's have no, showing the like, work, right? Not, I put a lot of work yeah. into this thing, so I'm going to make you understand how much work I put into it. But it's not even like it's – yes, it is like showing your work, but it's like showing the work that – like you're like giving us your cliff notes like for your own world. And like you just threw them in there and were like, I'll just have a character say this and that's good good (laughs) to go. It drove me nuts. But that's not the point at which I almost checked out for this book. The moment I almost checked out was when Dora the Explorer showed up. I'm not even joking. Yeah, it's true. There's a reference to Dora the Explorer, yep. and this is set some 200 years in the future. And I'm sorry, but nobody's going to freaking remember <laughs> Dora the Explorer in 200 years. They are not. I had that same I'm sorry. thought. I had that same thought that you could. It was as if he was t- explaining to somebody from 30 years. It was like as if it was set 30 years from now, and they're like, "Oh yes. yeah, there was. A, it used to be this kid show, but it's hundreds of years in the future." Like, just make something up. Yeah. It's like, it's Dwankle the, the ninja dude. And like, that's what I look like. I look like Dwankle. And then tell me what Dwankle looks like. There's a swipe or no swiping reference. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. There, there's some well, stuff where it's like, y- y- I don't believe you know what the future is yet. And you need to maybe spend more time on the internet because it'll help. <laughs> Erica and Aline, did you, did you look at this book? Or did you nope. pass it? <laughs> no, I haven't read the first two. Just look yeah. at it. Just don't. <laughs> Just look I, at it. <laughs> I mean, I looked at the title. Yeah, and was okay, like, good. Oh, it's 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 a pun on the name of the, the guy, series, Johnny Spurgeon. So read it. And yeah, Erica, that's pretty pretty good. Um, I I did try to read this book. I they hmm. didn't they didn't have it at the uh, Edmonton Public Library, but I was able to go to the trouble of of getting an interlibrary loan to try to read this book. I had finished all the rest of them, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, and I'm going to read this one, even though it's the third book in a series. You know, it's I will I will let that go, and if there's stuff that goes over my head, that's that's fine. But I think the paragraph that you read there, Jason, <laughs> illustrates why I was like, hmm. I think this is not for me. I don't think I even made it through two chapters before I just said, nope, life's too short. And I put it down and I feel very good about that decision. So I have only read these three books by Charles Gannon. But what I'll say is I really liked the 
I I really like the first half of the first book. I actually kind of liked the whole first book because it, although it was weird, as we said two years ago, in that it has these great ch- tonal shifts where you originally think it's going to be almost like an Indiana Jones space archaeologist kind of book, almost like one of the uh, like a Jack McDevitt, uh, Alex Benedict kind of book where he yeah. discovers these aliens on this planet and and there's evidence that they've been there a long time and they come back in this book actually it's kind of a nice bookend at the end uh, they come back and and that's pretty cool and then in, it, he sort of gets swept up in events and there's this whole kind of like conclave of aliens from all over the galaxy who are trying to understand who the humans are and what they should do with them and that's kind of interesting in a different way it's almost like a david brin or a, or a john scalzi kind of a kind of a vibe to it i thought it was you know a mishmash but really interesting kind of stuff and and here's the funny thing about this I powered through and I kind of liked the last third or half to third of this book because I really think Gannon is very good at his uh, he does show his work too much but like I appreciated how he created these alien races and they all have very weird and interesting uh so social views and soci- societies that he's built I think is I think his background world building of who these aliens are in this galaxy is actually pretty good I think I thought it was uh I think you once you get far enough along you start to see like oh you did put in a lot of work on under on on who these aliens are and how they work and um and I thought it paid off at, at that point that work that he did the problem is that uh, the book that I think he's writing is not the book he's writing because he he's writing a book about an amazing military and political leader named Kane Reardon and a lot of tactical and and hardware detail about the engagements that are going on. I think the end uh, where there's this whole action set piece that's set down on a planet and there 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 are a limited number of uh, people on the planet and then they, they the attackers come down and then there's sort of another force that's trying to do this desperate maneuver to get down to give them some backup. I thought it was actually really well done and was exciting and interesting. It is sort of like a Rambo on an alien planet because there's just a lot of gunfire, but I thought it was pretty well done and, and that he capped the trilogy kind of well by going back to the planet where it started for this sort of key bit of information about how the aliens on that planet are connected to these other aliens that we've been deal- dealing with for the whole series. So I actually found the last uh, third of it uh, pretty good last half to third. Um, but uh, like the problem with the entire second book, the first half of this book is so much explanation and detail and, and about about things that I just don't care about, especially like the military hardware and details of the ta- tactics and this whole other race. Uh, the Ara, the not the Arakor, the I don't even remember what they are, but the the ones who Arancini. are the ones the the ones who are the humans that are pretending to be something else, and they're not interesting. Um, and, uh, they have, they, they, I don't care about them. They're jerks and, uh, they're not good villains. They're just kind of boring villains. So, yeah. So I'm conflicted. I, I actually, uh, got to the point where I was forcing myself to get through it and I kind of broke through to a place where I, I, I actually liked the last part of this book, but it was kind of too late. Are you sure it wasn't Stockholm Syndrome? I, I am actually. It was funny. It, 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 it brought me, I, I, I thought about it, Erica. I thought about it, but it reminded me of the first part of the first book. So it's like, uh, you know, when they're down on that planet, 
you know, when he's dealing with the, there's, there's a really nice, like they're, they're landing on the planet and there are these like strange, like elephant like creatures that live in the river. And one of them sort of saves Kane Reardon, uh, accidentally. And, uh, and, uh, I thought all that stuff was actually pretty good. It was just all of the orbital mechanics that get to that point where they're on the planet that made me want to throw the book away. It's still not very good, but uh, parts of it I thought were were pretty good. Unfortunately, the last half of the third book of a trilogy is a bad place to to get to really get <laughs> yeah. it together. It's true. I like the second book better. I can see how people like these books. I just don't think they're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I, I I guess my that's my that's my problem is is that he's trying to do something like like I said he's trying to do a book that I don't want to read and the part except part of it is the book I want to read but it's not the part that he seems to want to focus much of, most of his attention no. on. He so, really likes Kane Reardon. Oh, Kane Reardon. Talk about I don't you, really like him. you talk about your perfect character who has no flaws. It's Kane Reardon. His only flaw is that he has no flaws. That's right. He cares too much. He cares That's too his much. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he rides giant skeeter boats. He does. He does. That's true. His heart is too big. It he is. actually has. It's a it's a physiological problem. problem. He has yeah. a large heart. He passes out uh, from time to time. Uh, okay, the 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 randomatron made our next book, our seventh and final book of this podcast. The winner uprooted by Naomi Novik. No, you known often for her uh, her series of books about dragons. This is uh, not about dragons, although it starts out amusingly with a character with called a dra- the dragon, who you are uh, to assume is a dragon until you realize it is not a dragon. It is just a guy. Uh, this is a story about. This is a again a fantasy story. There, I said it about uh, a young well, girl in a village who finds uh, who is taken away by a wizard uh, and is taught about magic and. Uh, learns about the dark forces that are kind of conspiring to threaten her home and the entire valley where she grew up, as well as some interesting things about the wider world in which she lives. And that's Uprooted. What do people think of Uprooted? Yay. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad this one won. Uh, it was it, it was very close to being my favorite. It was, was I was kind of back and forth. I didn't know if this was my favorite or not. So I was I was quite pleased when this one because I just loved the book. I could see I could see very early on what kind of story it was going to be. It was this, you know, hapless nobody has great powers and doesn't realize it and then learns to use those powers under the tutelage of a great magician. So from the very first chapter, I knew I was going to enjoy the book, even if if the book itself sucked be just because I love that kind of story so much and I will cut it a lot of slack that I won't cut other types of stories. Um, but what I didn't know, but what I, I didn't know after chapel, chapter one and then discovered later to my delight was that this is, it was an excellent example of this kind of book because I thought she turned the tropes on their ears just enough to keep it interesting, but not enough to make it a different kind of story. It was still that basic story. Um, so for example, her mentor uh, turned out to not be a very good mentor Mm. Uh, and she ends up having to actually teach herself and figure things out on her own for the most part Um, and you know the mentor then ends up learning a little something from her as well of course that second part there is kind of standard but 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 i enjoyed that it was it was a thing that i love done in a slightly different way which is great and i adored the magic one of the things that that gets me the most about a good fantasy book is having a system of magic that appeals to me and stays consistent and works throughout the course of the book mm-hmm. and in this case i thought that was that was kind of great this, there's a spooky forest and there's something evil at its heart <laughs> and then you got different
different kinds of magic practitioners and a whole bunch of bureaucracy in the capital that surrounds everything, including the magic. And it even took one of my other favorite story tropes and nested it within this one, which is the the plain country dweller who has to go to the big city and then is baffled by the, the different pace and the style of life there. I mean, just really, it was one thing that I love on top of another on top of another. So, yeah, I loved it. Anybody else? Aline? I liked it, but I have problematic spoilers. So I don't know how much it is. <laughs> it's probably that, the that same one that I have. A new podcast. Um, we'll try to talk around it and be gentle. Uh, it's a it's a little one, so I might just barrel ahead and you can send me your hate mail. It's fine. I don't care. Um, so <laughs> It's the last so, book you can stop listening if you really right. want. Yeah, that's, that's right. So... Um, I liked I liked all of the things that Erica talked about. There was a really strong theme of friendship and and belief and sisterhood, like believing in one another and sisterhood that I really really appreciated. Um, and also like this, as someone who's very protective of her friends, seeing that mirrored in in our main character was kind of nice to see. You know, like like I will die for you type type protectiveness. Um, and, and I, I like that she's powerful. I like that she's kind of on this journey of discovery and and all of that stuff. But um, and here's the spoiler. She and her, her mentor end up becoming infatuated with one another. I wouldn't say like falling in love, but there's some kind of infatuation there. And at no point did I find that believable. He was horrible. We saw him do nothing but insult her and be verbally abusive and actually kind of physically abusive. And then she she ends up like there are feelings. And I don't know that I did not appreciate that aspect of it. I think you got to I think you you can't discount the fact that they become deeply magically entwined. And in There's the aftermath that. of that is when that this happens. So it's uh, I guess it's up to you to determine whether becoming like go, kind of like inside one another's souls while casting this this, you know, crazy spell that takes a day to tell or whatever it is. Is that, you know, was that a very special moment that laid their souls bare? and made them attached to each other in a way that, you know, non-magic people can't understand. Or I think if you discount it and are like, come on, but consider what went before, it's easy to to write it off. But I kind of went with it just because they, I, I accepted that what she was basically saying is that this spell that they cast together was incredibly intimate and it basically connected them in a way they'd never been before. I can go with that. I can, my head I, can. I, I can totally go with that. And I'm, I'm with you and I, I see that too, but he continued to be abusive. And that's what, that's what I was like. Okay. He's a so, jerk. <laughs> right. So you've seen it to one another's souls. She is a very kind hearted, um, um, compassionate woman. And there's like, he's physically abusive and I, I just can't, I can't, I can't. I, you know what, I will admit that I struggled with that a little bit too. I think that it was, I mean, I, he was still awful towards the end, but he was much, much less awful. So he I was. do think, I do okay. think that there was a bit of a redemption arc for mm -hmm. his character. And maybe it would have been a little bit better if they had played up that, the redemptive angle a little bit and made it sit better for me. But I, for me, I, 
I struggled a little while and then I ended up landing on the side where I was mostly okay with it simply because this is it's it's a, a fantasy fairy tale story and it's it's the story of of someone who you know learns to use their powers and I just I really wanted all of the the bows to sort of tie up neatly at the end in the way that a story like that is quote unquote meant to and of course you can break those rules and stuff but I I do like it when you have all of those sort of happy-ish at least endings so for me I I feel like the book might have felt a little bit inconclusive or unconcluded if she didn't get that sort of glimpse of of possible happiness at the end there so that was that was why I ended up being okay with it but I very much see your point Scott what do you think or what does Goodreads tell you that you thought at one point in the past (laughs) Uh, well this I also gave five stars Uh, and this is uh, an example of why I read nominated books because I had heard of this book. Obviously, she, uh, Naomi Novak is a big author. Uh, I've not read any of her work before this. I read about this book and I thought, this is totally not something I will like, so I am not going to read it. Uh, and now it was on, you know, nominated for a nebula. So I thought, uh, I guess I'll read it. And so I read it and I really liked it. Uh, totally not a book I would have ever read, uh, on my own. Uh, and now it has, um, Inspired me, actually inspired my wife to read all of her uh, uh, Napoleonic Dragon books. There's the Temeraire, uh, right? Exactly. Um, and so I'll be reading those at some point as well uh, because she said they're good. And uh, I, I, based on this book, I think that uh, she's an excellent writer. Uh, I did not have uh, – I didn't notice the physical abuse stuff, so I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, and maybe that's just because I'm a dude and uh, I uh, didn't notice it. I don't know. Um, but I totally noticed the, you know, the, the, he was, you know, mentally abusive and, and, uh, but I just took that as, uh, he didn't understand the way that she used magic and he was trying to put her into his magical system and it just wasn't working and it was frustrating to him. Yeah. And so it was more of a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once they started, you know, really Realizing, like when they were trying to make the what was it the bee and the rose or whatever, and they they figured out they click. Well, she figured out how to click into his system, and uh, it made like the crazy garden appear. Uh, and that's when they started. I felt like they started clicking a little bit more, but he was still resistive of it because that's not how magic works. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but clearly, you know, there are different ways to get to the same path. Uh, and I like you know the falcon and all that stuff. Uh, uh, and going to the capital, I thought it was all great. It was it enchanted me from mm. beginning to end. And one thing to point out with with his personality, sort of, I do like that she never she never actually softens or capitulates to him. He's his personality. He's got flaws. He he's he's not very em- empathetic to the fact that she uses magic differently, like Scott said. And she doesn't really ever give in to him. He's the one that actually has to sort of come running back to her in the end. So I, I appreciated that as well, that she doesn't like go off on some sort of, you know, waterworks type quest crying and pining for him. Yeah. Sean, what do you think of this one? Well, as you may recall, uh, earlier I had said there was a book that uh, I didn't finish because I didn't want to finish it. And that yeah. would be this book. <gasps> oh, process of elimination. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> we hadn't got to that book. Because because uh... I actually finished raising raising Cain, as much as I may have ranted about that. Uh, but the the scene that we've already mentioned was the moment at which I just checked out. Um, and there's already a lot of stuff going against. I'm not really big into fairy tales. It's just not my thing. Uh, the only fairy tale book I can think of that I enjoyed is The House in the Stag by Cage Baker. But 
I don't really like fairy tales. So it was already kind of had that going against it. But the moment there was like that little romantic tingling, I, I just felt so uncomfortable and I just stopped uh, because I just I can't I can't do that. Like my tolerance for that has since Game of Thrones has, has ended. Uh, I don't really have a tolerance for any kind of skeevy, that kind of thing anymore. So that was the point at which I just I just stopped. I wasn't I wasn't already into it. And it made me feel uncomfortable in a way that I didn't find interesting and so i just i just cut and ran and went and went and read something else so yeah i don't really have much to say except that all right yeah i'm sorry mm. please don't i know people are gonna probably like there's gonna be people on my doorstep trying to kill me but it's possible please don't <laughs> don't 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 go to <laughs> sean's house yeah my cat will fight you <laughs> <laughs> um so uh this was my favorite of the seven I thought it was okay. great. I thought it was one of the so so sorry, Sean. Uh, I thought it was. It's cool. um, I still am watching Game of Thrones, by the way. Um, so people can come to my doorstep, and my cat will <laughs> probably not fight you, but he might pee on you. Um, no, <laughs> which may be just as good. <laughs> yeah, really, you don't want that. Trust me. Uh, a lot of laundry. So uh, I, like Scott, would not normally read a book like this. I uh, have bought the first book in the Temeraire series, and I just haven't gotten around to reading it because I think, yeah, dragons, fantasy, whatever. Uh, but I really liked it. I, I I liked that it was a fairy tale framework, but was a lot more than that. I really loved the idea of the forest reaching out to, to as this force of darkness to destroy the towns in this village. And and then something we haven't talked about is the end of this book. Really, is a, it is <laughs> it's the heart of darkness, people. Like it is a journey into the heart of darkness. The this scary forest and what's at the at the heart of it? These trees that are the source of the evil that is, uh, that is infesting this world and, uh, especially this, uh, this village. And there's a victory, although I would say, unlike, um, unlike updraft, there's a victory. That's a partial victory. There's, there's some cost and there's some upkeep that needs to continue happening. But in the end, Agnieszka, the, the main character finds her place in the world. It's a, a place that she chooses. She's, um, protecting her valley um i like the journey we talked about two different magic systems i like the i like the idea that um this guy is is an arrogant wizard he changes uh you know all the all the women that he takes when they're 16 uh leave the village after they're done with their their 10 years because they they're they're they've they've seen too much and they, they want to move on to something else but uh she challenges him she's got she's special in a way that he can't uh he doesn't notice uh right away and i love that that like she puts him on the defense because she knows stuff about her magic and he doesn't. And I, I think that's delightful. There's, there are several places where, um, he is brought low by the fact that, uh, you know, he keeps, uh, disregarding her skills and disparaging her and, uh, she always surprises him. And I think that's also delightful. Um, and so I, yeah, I like the mythical qualities of it. I like that there's this additional political calculation that's happening with the prince and the king and the queen who was kidnapped by the wood a long time ago, uh, back in the capital. I think that's an interesting digression. Um, it reminded me a bit of the goblin emperor, which I liked a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, uh, I, I liked it. I was I was really surprised how much I liked it, and so yes, if the fifth season is one B or two, uh, I would I would rank up rooted number one. I was happy that it won. Um, I, I I was surprised at how much I liked it. And it was it was another one that was really beautifully written. Again, I will yes, you know I will definitely read more of her books just based on this one. I just just couldn't get past that one thing. Yeah, I understood. I, I like I said I I tried to reason. 
I gave Naomi Novik the benefit of the doubt that, you know, that especially as a woman writing this book, that she had a particular point of view about this relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go with the idea that this uh, this connection was happening that sort of changed everything between them because it was this surprise connection that they found you could very easily say that it was a much older man who comes and steals 16 year old girls and although they all accept they all insist that he never makes a move on them and his is you know he's just a jerk but he he doesn't do anything untoward uh toward them uh the fact is that that happens with them and you can you could very easily read that as this is really gross i'm not going to read anymore i think that's a totally fair reading of it i decided to go with it and and decide that the author didn't intend it that way but i can see both sides of that that's fair yeah yep. and just to be clear i'm not suggesting that this book was like the last season of game of thrones <laughs> <laughs> i'm not suggesting they're on the same scale i brought that up as my that for me was the moment where my tolerance level went all the way down to the bottom because i felt so uncomfortable after that particular moment everybody knows about it at this point that i couldn't mm-hmm. i could i can't take it right now like i i don't have the mental space fair for enough it, so yeah, it'll probably come back later. Um, should we? Should, I, I would like to go around and ask people how to rank their uh, their the books from 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 best to worst or worst to best, depending on how you want to handle it. Scott, do you have a list? Uh, I I will have a list right now. Uh, I will go <laughs> best to worst. Okay. I guess. Uh, so uh, Barsk, uh, uprooted, uh, the fifth season. Grace of Kings, Ancillary Mercy, Updraft, Raisin King. Okay. Aline? Um, favorite to least favorite would be, I think, hmm, the fifth season, Updraft. Oh, and then I don't know between Uprooted and Barsk. Um, because Uprooted really was beautifully written. Um, and then, well ancillary mercy and then grace of kings because i couldn't read it and then i didn't read the sixth one so all right (laughs) erica uh i had kind of two almost ties but i've managed to sort of break them out a little bit so so favorite to least favorite i i'm gonna put the fifth season at the top uh and the only reason that uprooted comes in at second is because of that relationship it that was that was enough for it to to bump it down from being completely tied to being just almost tied um and then the next two were almost a tie as as well. Actually, no, that's not true. Next one was Ancillary Mercy because I quite like that. That was pretty easy. It was the next two that were kind of a tie uh, between Barsk and Updraft. I decided to put Barsk just a hair above Updraft simply because of, Jason, what you were saying about how, how it ended. Um, but I, I really just I liked all of those very, very much. Um, and then a, a few rungs down, we have The Grace of Kings and then... Uh, and then, yeah, it was then the one I Raising couldn't Kane. finish. Raising Cain. Yep. Cain Reardon. Sean, what about you? <laughs> sure. So Barsk is off the list because obvious I didn't I didn't finish it yep. and not from lack of trying. Uh, so uh, my list from top to bottom goes Ancillary Mercy, Grace of Kings, Updraft, Fifth Season, Uprooted, then Raising Cain. All right. Well. I think uh, I think fifth season maybe our maybe our overall like total points winner if we were cho- choosing a winner <laughs> among us. But so for me, it's uprooted and then the fifth season, uh, then Barsk, Updraft, Ancillary Mercy, Raising Cain, and Grace of Kings because I couldn't finish it and it's not like mm-hmm. I didn't try. 
So wow, yeah, you tried several times valiantly, and it didn't ever happen. So, mm-hmm. but you know, here's what I'll say: when you when you have seven books and you decide to read all of them, turns out there's uh, some good books in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope you all. Had a had a good time reading some books that a mysterious cabal in the Science Fiction Writers Association uh, chose for us. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they chose some good books. Yeah, I think they so. Usually do. Yeah, pretty good. All right. Well, thus thus ends our survey of the Nebula nominees for this year. Uh, but it was fun to read those books. It took a while, but because that's a lot of books, but uh, it was good. It was good. I'm glad I did it, and uh, it's given me more books to read. Anyway, I'd like to thank my uh, panelists for for joining me on this on this adventure of reading some or all or some combination thereof of the Nebula novel nominees. Uh, Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty uh, and many other places. Thank you so much for being back on. That's three years in a row for you. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Uh, I, I'm sure the torches and pitchforks outside are normal and not people <laughs> ready to burst down your door for your uh, for your opinions. That's Probably. okay. I, I drink their tears. Okay, good. Good. As you should. As you should. Aline Sims, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, on the book club and taking on this this uh, large assignment. I was so happy to do it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Erica Ensign, thank you as well for reading many, many books. Yeah, these, I, I genuinely loved almost every one of these. So I'm, I'm so pleased that you encouraged me to do it yeah. because if I, if I hadn't done it for the podcast, I doubt I would have read most of these books. Scott McDulty, as always, you are my partner in reading books that are nominated for awards. Thanks for being here. Yes. And I read all of them. You did. Woo. You get well, the gold the, sticker. The nebulous. Ooh, gold do star. I actually, is there really a gold sticker? Yeah. Next time one? I see you, I'll give you a gold sticker. Uh, <laughs> don't write checks. You can't cash. It's a cash. euphemism. A gold sticker is a punch in the arm. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. It gives me flashbacks to Catholic school. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening. Uh, check out these books. I hope we've given you some ideas of some of these books that you might want to read based on our descriptions of them. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.